Hi, it's Kate Brownfield from ADHDKidsCanThrive.com. Thank you for listening. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like, comment, and share as it'll help others find the ADHD Kids Can Thrive podcast. My guest today is Ryan Wexelblatt of ADHDDude.com. In his personal life, he is father to a son with ADHD and learning differences. In his professional life, he is a licensed clinical social worker, certified school social worker, ADHD certified clinical services provider. Ryan trains parents to help their children build skills, improve behavior, and most importantly, feel better about themselves. Please enjoy our conversation. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Okay, let's get started. Um, let's start. Um, you are known on the internet as the ADHD dude. Um, and I thought it would be a good place to start with it. If you could just share like your personal story and your journey and kind of what led you into this particular role. Yeah. So I uh, went into the special education field as soon as I finished graduate school. Um, I have my master's in social work and right away started working at a school, mainly for kids with behavior challenges. And as you might imagine, a lot of kids there, most of them were diagnosed with ADHD. Um, And that just kind of got me into the special education field. And then jumping ahead of a bunch of years, um, I have a son who I adopted as an older child when he was eight. Um, And he came with a slew of diagnoses, you know, ADHD being one. Um, And he was extremely challenging, um, you know, in terms of behavior and flexibility and kind of all these things that we associate with ADHD, but it was kind of on steroids. Um, So, so I always say, you know, I was, and when I got him, I was working at a school for pretty challenging kids. So I was living and breathing this even, you know, I had no separation from from working. Really working okay, yeah. Um, and then you know, I uh, you know, going into uh, private practice, I initially specialized solely in ADHD and higher verbal autism, or what we used to call Asperger's. Um, and then just eventually, you know, pivoted towards uh, ADHD a bunch of years ago. Um, and yeah, this is pretty much all I've done my whole career, whether it be in schools or private practice, my camp, and now ADHD dude. So yeah. Okay. And are you just doing ADHD dude and the things related to that solely? Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. That's great. And how's your son doing? He's good. He's good. He's 25 now. Um, I think, you know, after many years, he's finally found his career path. Um, he's a chef at a very successful Italian restaurant here in town. Um, right. And, and you know, it amazes me to think that he is able to handle this job because, you know, people, chefs, <laughs> people who work in the restaurant industry are not always the most patient or um, sensitive in the way they say things. And, you know, where he works, it's a lot of yelling. It's a high stress environment. And the fact that he's managing there and likes it and is successful is, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And he likes it, right? It's chaos kind of, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of thrives in that environment. Okay. That's good to hear. Good job, dad. He would, but yeah. (laughs) Good job, dad. Thank you. Um, okay. So let's get into, I think what everybody always wants to know, which is um, what are the aspects of ADHD that makes it hard for kids that goes beyond just having a hard time focusing? Yeah. You know, I always talk about this from the perspective of what are the greatest pain points for both kids and for parents. And I think one of the greatest pain points for parents I see that is not addressed really, which is why I address it a lot, is the cognitive inflexibility piece. 
And flexibility is an aspect of executive functioning that I find a lot of people don't associate with executive functioning, you know? So, right. and I don't know if they associate it with the, the diagnosis of ADHD. Correct. Because, you know, one of the things, and just to give some context, you know, I, I have always said, you know, and as a licensed mental health professional, I, I feel entitled to say this, I guess, that the mental health field has a very limited understanding of executive functioning. And in my experience, when the mental health field doesn't understand something, they pathologize it. So I think what happened was because this is such a prominent aspect of ADHD for so many kids, this is how actually the, you know, the oppositional defiant disorder diagnosis came to be. It came to be because people didn't understand that this inflexibility or this being oppositional to whatever is, is really based in cognitive flexibility. Um, so what I always try to say to people just on that note is, you know, if your child is diagnosed with ODD and ADHD, you know, throw out the ODD label. Just think of this as an aspect of exec of executive functioning that we need to work on like any other aspect of executive functioning. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So do you think that ODD is a separate diagnosis as some kids get, there are kids who get diagnosed with just ODD. Right. What and I say is ODD is a diagnosis based in inflexibility, anxiety, or developmental trauma, you know, and, and I also have an issue with any label that magically disappears when you're an adult. <laughs> oh yeah. True. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. So the inflexibility in your experiences that is, and I agree, that's probably the thing that's, that's um, breaking parents is working with their kids. So like, is there some aspects? Well, let's get into like, how does ADHD? So if it's not, fo it, it is, it's focused, but inflexibility as well. Mm -hmm. um, not for all, but for many. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And the other part that I hear a lot about too, is the emotional dysregulation mm -hmm. is really hard um, inside families and for the child. Right. Um, on, and kind of how to work with them. So my question is, what's your advice on how parents work with their child if they're struggling with inflexibility, emotional dysregulation, and all the other aspects of ADHD? How, how, what's your advice for parents trying to like keep a calm, loving home? Yeah. So the first thing I want to mention is that, you know, I believe in science and research data and I follow the, um, you know, the evidence-based treatment recommendations for kids with ADHD, which is parent training in conjunction with medication management. Um, that is what has been shown to, uh, you know, demonstrate the most efficacy. And if people want to see research on this, there's a website um, just to know about called EffectiveChildTherapy.org. And if you type in ADHD there, it shows you the, like the different, you know, things um, in terms of level of, of effectiveness. So different, you know, interventions. So I believe in, in following those recommendations, not just because they're evidence-based, but because I find that they produce the best results for parents in the most time and cost-effective way possible. So when we talk about parent training, um, that's a little bit of a, you know, a vague term. Um, you know, people have heard the term behavior therapy a lot or parent behavior therapy, but what it really means is training the parents, you know, so we're not treating a child as what's called the identified patient, you know, where we need to send them to therapy. So they work on quote coping skills or whatever, because the evidence shows therapy doesn't work for kids with ADHD to address the emotional yeah. dysregulation or flexibility. Okay. So when does therapy start to work for a person with ADHD? Yeah. So the research data shows that 
Cognitive behavior therapy can be effective for older teens up to adults. Okay. And before then you wouldn't recommend it. Well, there's just no evidence to show that it works. Yeah. Yeah. So, and and I will say just because I want to, you know, men play devil's advocate, you know, therapists have a really big problem when I bring this up because their first thing is to say, well, you know, lots of kids with ADHD struggle with mental health conditions and it's helpful for that. And I really try to encourage people to move away from this belief that talking about feelings, you know, is a panacea to all life problems. Um, Because, you know, what, what, in terms of the therapy piece, what I say is if your kid wants to go fine, but don't push them on it. And, And I do have to be transparent and tell you through the five years I've been doing ADHD dude, the number one, I guess I'll call it complaint I've heard from parents is that we've spent so much time and thousands of dollars on various therapies that have not been effective. So this is why, you know, parent training is what's recommended because it it works the best, you know, because we have to change our behavior and our language, not expect kids to change. Right. And so you're suggesting strongly, right, that if the parents change, if if they evolve as parents and their parenting techniques, that helps the child. Yes. And over time, does that help? with dysregulation and flexibility? So there's kind of two separate answers to that. The one is yes, okay? And you know, when when there's consistency and when parents step into their parental authority, because my experience very much has been that the more kids with ADHD, because they tend to be literal and concrete, the more that they understand, you know, the natural parent-child hierarchy that exists everywhere in the world, the easier it is for them to regulate themselves, right. you know? When they're given free-for-all and allowed to make all different kinds of choices and treated like adults, basically, that's anxiety-producing. Yeah. The other part of that is that, you know, obviously brain development or brain maturity is the other aspect of it here. Yes. And how does that play into all of it? I I would say that I believe what, what parents do tends to make a more immediate impact and is is more helpful in the short term um whereas brain development you know everyone's on their own developmental trajectory so we can't predict when things will naturally get better you know right right yeah over time yep okay and can you talk to us a little bit about how all this these aspects of ADHD affect the classroom mm-hmm. right and how do you and how does a parent get the school on board with these aspects of ADHD that do show up in the classroom? Yeah. Well, the first thing I always say is that, you know, school was not designed for kids with ADHD um, and it particularly was not designed for boys with ADHD. So I don't think there's one answer to that because obviously, you know, ADHD presents differently for everybody. Um, the The one thing I, I do say though, is that um, I want parents to understand that teachers, including special ed teachers, really get no training in ADHD, you know, and, and I find because of that, there tends to be a lot of understandable frustration from parents about, you know, why aren't they doing this or why don't, you know, the teachers understand this. And what I always say to parents is if you have a problem with this, don't go to the teacher, you know, go to the school administration or go to a school board meeting and say, hey, our teachers need training in ADHD because the way it affects kids is 
you know, if we're if they're in a learning environment that is not designed for them necessarily, well, then it would make sense why they have trouble, you know, sustaining attention, particularly if they don't have some kind of sensory input when they were younger or they're required to sit for too long um, or the level of you know self-management is above their skill level at, at that point. Right. Um, you know, or if they have, you know, for for instance, you know, a lot of kids who have a propensity to be inflexible have a lot of difficulty working in groups in school when they do group work, and that can be socially stigmatizing. So, I mean, I could talk about this forever, you know, because there are so many different ways it affects kids. I think for for parents, the you know the 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 two things I would say are that. Um, you know, number one, you're, you know, if you're propping your child up academically and sitting with them for hours a night doing homework, well, then you're possibly giving the school a false sense of their abilities, and they might not be receiving the support that they need, because you're propping them up, you know, with good intention. But the other piece I, I want to say is in terms of, you know, supporting kids in school, obviously, there's people who specialize in, you know, school accommodations and, and everything. Um, you know, who, who are, I feel more equipped to, you know, address that specifically than I can. But I think the, the main thing it, parents need to understand is that, yes, there's things we can put in place to support kids, um, but that does not necessarily equate to developing skills. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah. So it's kind of a dance, right? Of developing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For the parent and the child, it's a team effort, right? Between the school, the parent, and the child. Yeah, it's it's a team effort. I would say, when with with keeping the understanding in mind, you know, like I mentioned, that you know, teachers don't get training in this. It's not yeah. something that schools value, or you know, most schools value. I should say. Yeah, and that's where the frustration comes in, right? Um. Yeah. So I, I, right. I agree. Okay. And the thing is, I guess, change the environment as much as you can, right. At school, which you can do through IEPs or 504s. Well, I would say this, that you could put accommodations in place that help with the environment. The question for me with accommodations is always that, and I tell parents this to ask yourself this question, is this helping my, you know, my, my child to become an independent learner or is this keeping them over dependent on adults? And I think people a lot of times tend to think more is better when it comes to accommodations. But what we have to keep in mind is in the real world, nobody's going to accommodate you this much. So right. yes, we need accommodations to help you learn to the best of your ability, but overdoing it with accommodations does not mean better. Right. So how do you get them through school, Ryan? Because <laughs> ADHD kids really are prone to dropping out um, or failing in school. That's a real thing. So how do parents manage that? Well, I think I think the first thing I, I tell people is that your child's homework output, okay, or their grades are not a, you know, predictor of their future success. You know, could it affect where they go to college or, you know, go to college? Sure. But at the end of the day, the best predictor of your future success is your ability to form social relationships. So I want people to, to keep that in mind. I, I think really the, the biggest question parents has, have to ask themselves is this, you know, is, is the learning environment stressful for my child and is it impeding their learning because of the stress it's causing because they, they don't know how to, you know, the environment cannot provide for my child in, in a way that they need. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah. Because the one thing I will tell you, I can't stand to see is when kids get turned off from learning because the environment didn't work for them. Yeah. Yeah. It's too, yeah. It's too difficult or it's not engaging. Okay. Right. So you, t- you hinted at this real quick and what you were just talking about, which is, and I think people, parents don't think about this either is how ADHD can affect kids socially. Mm-hmm. Right. And the challenges that can come around with that. So can you give us some more insight into that piece that we should be thinking about? Yeah. So for reasons we don't understand, there are some kids who are affected, some kids with ADHD who present with what I call social executive function challenges and others who do not. One of the things I I do want to clarify is that, you know, when a child with ADHD struggles socially, it's not because they're lacking, quote, social skills. It's they have these, you know, Sorry, let me backtrack for a minute. So so when I talk about social skills, social skills are the things we use when we're sharing space with other people to keep them having good thoughts about us, essentially. Okay, But in order to use social skills, there are executive function skills used in that, such as, um, you know, uh, internal dialogue or what I call brain voice with kids, situational awareness. Um, being able to think about how you're coming across to others, you know, all these these different areas. So what happens with kids with ADHD, they have these skills, they might be lagging behind because ADHD is an executive function developmental delay, and these skills may be used inconsistently. And the reason I explain this, or I want to explain this is because that is different than it is for kids with autism. Kids with autism may have very weak social executive function skills, or they may be non-existent doesn't mean they can't be taught. But the reason I'm bringing this up is because over the past few years, I have seen a profound amount of misdiagnosing and overdiagnosing in kids with ADHD, specifically for the social stuff. So, um, so, you know, the really the, the main things I would say kids struggle with mostly is the perspective taking piece. So understanding others thoughts and understanding how you're coming across to others. And the other one is situational awareness, which people often refer to as reading the room. I call it reading the field with kids. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Which which really is about how do we navigate in unstructured or semi-structured social situations and figure out what we should be doing based on the context of the situation. Mm-hmm. And parents can guide their children through learning those kind of skills. Yeah. So what I would say is that with social executive function skills, we can always help kids to develop them. Now, obviously, if we're not with them 24 hours a day, we can't do that in the moment teaching always that works best for kids with ADHD. But we can do front loading, you know, which is kind of talking about, you know, how we should navigate things, what we should be thinking about. You know, and I have a language I use with kids to teach these these skills because, they, as I mentioned, you know, they they might have them and they're lagging behind or they're not used consistently. But the more I think we can give them context for understanding this by having a language to use, the easier it is for them to, you know, generalize these concepts. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, one service that you do provide is a camp. Mm-hmm. where you do focus on this inside your camp. It gives boys, I think boys only a chance to like build their social interaction skills. Yeah. So I do school year programs and a summer camp. And, you know, just to clarify the, the content that, you know, I put out on YouTube or in my membership site, that is not gender specific. The reason I focus on just with boys with the school year programs and camp is, is pretty simple. I didn't grow up female. You know, I don't have the experience of, of knowing what it's like to form friendships, you know, as a girl, 
with other girls. I can speak to that for boys, you know. Um, so yeah, that is that is really the main thing. One of the main things that we focus on is understanding, you know, and understanding those pieces such as perspective taking and the situational awareness. And when the kids get a little older, understanding their responsibility in not just cultivating, but sustaining friendships as well, because that's challenging for a lot of kids with ADHD. Um, because, you know, because they live in the present when they're not with other kids, it tends to be out of sight, out of mind. They're not thinking about them. But what they're also not thinking about is, well, these other kids might be getting together, you know, and because I'm not making the effort to include myself or show that I'm interested in being friends with them, they might not understand that you value their friendship. Yeah, I think social media is changing this as well. And I do think, well, for all kids, social media is making social interactions um, evolve yeah, change oh, yeah. on what a social interaction is and what it isn't. And I think kids are aware now where like our generation, we weren't aware if we were left out, but right. now social media makes that really clear if you're being left out. Right. Yes. Yeah. The issue though, I will tell you what that is, you know, boys tend to not be on social media as much as girls. What do boys tend to be doing? Well, they're watching YouTube. They're watching somebody stream video games, whatever. Whereas girls are more likely to, you know, be paying attention to what other girls are doing on social media. Yeah. Right. That's true. Okay. All right. So anything else on your camp? I do think I want to feature your camp because I know parents sometimes want relief and support Mm -hmm. and space you know, and so your camps is like a great option for um, putting your child in a place, a safe environment where they can learn something and be supported around these things that are making their life difficult. And it gives parents a minute to take a breath. Um, and you do your camps in New Jersey. And uh, and Tucson will be this summer. The- Tucson. Okay, yeah. great. Yeah. So yeah, the and- West Coast, East Coast option. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and one of the things, you know, I'll tell you with with camp is that I think sometimes people have this picture that we're sitting around all day, like in group therapy, talking about ADHD or organizing school folders. And it's not about that at all. It's, you know, we just like my school year programs, we do a lesson in the morning pertaining to the things I'm talking about. And then we go out and do trips during the day. And the idea is that we use the language and the concepts we're teaching in the morning, you know, for to be able to apply it to, you know, real life experiences, you know, during our trips and during the day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. It's a great option for parents. Okay, Ryan. So you've been working with ADHD kids for a very long time. So can you just tell us, um, just remind us with your expertise about kind of what the growth and projection looks for an ADHD child as they mature? Like how does this go? Yeah. Well, I think, you know, obviously there's not one definitive answer because ADHD presents differently in different people, whether they have more, you know, hyperactive impulsive profile, where they're more prone to emotional dysregulation versus the more inattentive profile, where they tend not to be prone to the emotional dysregulation, um, you know, as much, and they tend to have an easier time socially. Um, And obviously, like anything else in life, there's a severity of, of symptoms. So I don't think it's easy to say there's this one trajectory. What I will say, I think what I should talk about is maybe the variables I see involved that really make a difference um, in, in, you know, for, for kids, because, you know, I've been doing this a long time now. And some of my former students who I met when they were in middle school or now in their thirties, you know, who I still keep in touch with, um, 
I I think the you know the number one thing I would say is to um, not accommodate kids. And when I say accommodate, I don't mean like IEP accommodations. I mean don't accommodate their inflexibility if they are prone to anxiety, which is common for people with ADHD. We don't accommodate their anxiety because when we engage in parental accommodation, that doesn't make things better. It actually makes things worse over the long term. And I would say, you know, for my students, my former students who are doing really well in life right now, it's that their parents didn't accommodate them. They didn't, they, their parents weren't swayed by what I call their noise. So they're arguing, complaining, or venting for the sake of arguing, complaining, or venting. Um, and they, I think the other piece is they presume competency. So they let their kids try things, even though that knowing that they might struggle and they might fail at something, but that's a learning opportunity. Those are really the most important variables I've seen. Okay. And so are you suggesting if you do let your child hit bumps and failures that over time, they kind of work their way through that? I would say you need to let them experience that and we can support them instead of rescuing them. Because when we support them and help them learn something from the experience, that's the important piece. And part of this is, you know, kids with ADHD struggle with what's called episodic memory, which is the emotions associated with past experiences. For reasons we don't understand, a lot of kids with ADHD have difficulty remembering these emotions from past experiences, unless it's a really strong negative emotion. So they tend to not even remember positive emotions from past experiences sometimes. So we have to help them connect their past experiences and the emotions with the present. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Great advice. Okay. All right, Ryan, as we wrap up, is there any other words of wisdom that you'd like to share with parents and educators who are listening to this podcast, um, you know, for more support and guidance? Yeah. You know, I would say two things real quick that one, um, I'm seeing on social media and I'm hearing from parents that there is a lot of encouraging fragility right now. You know, so treat kids as fragile that, you know, we have to protect them from experiencing any discomfort. Um, and, and I'm really concerned we're setting a generation up for mental health issues and, and for what we call, I don't like this term, but for failure to launch. And with that, you know, the, what I just want to remind everyone is that kids are not fragile. Kids are anti-fragile. And when we presume competency and give them opportunities to try things, you know, and, and understand that, you know, if they are disappointed or upset, they'll get over it. All feelings are temporary. Yeah. We can support them, but we shouldn't rescue them. Okay. And is that in general for kids or is that just related to the neurodiverse population where you're seeing that? Yeah, I would, I would say, well, I would say it's, it's definitely um, in general, but I think the, the effects of that, of treating kids as fragile is much more detrimental for you know neurodiverse kids. Yeah. Because the stakes are higher. Yeah. 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 And there's research on this by the way. This is not like my opinion. I mean, what we know is that, you know, a lot of parental accommodation is a catalyst for failure to launch. Yeah. Hey, thank you, Ryan. Thank you for having me. You're Appreciate welcome. It.